0: Well, hello there. It is great to see you again and welcome back to the latest installment of Closing Arguments. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. And as always, we have John Razimich or Jack Razimich, as so many know him by. Joining us from Razimich and Associates for another criminal law-related discussion. That's what we tackle here on the show, if you didn't deduce that already from the show name. Uh, but hey, look, we've got a really cool conversation teed up for you guys today at Jack and his team. Boy, have they been busy of late in and out of courtrooms, you know, fighting down some cases. But today, we're going to be taking a look specifically at a, an element That's a very important element within the courtroom, and that is juries. Today's topic being what you need to know about juries. We're going to dive into kind of a a brief history on really where juries come from and you know, really how their importance became such a factor in, you know, our criminal law system as a whole. We're also going to dive into the different types of juries that exist in this day and age. And then of course, the different juries that we find throughout the state of Indiana. So with that being said, let's go ahead and bring Jack on and get right into today's discussion. Jack, it's good to see you today. Thanks for being here.
1: Not a problem. It's good to be back. It feels like it's been a while,
0: hasn't it? <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's a good thing. Your team has been, you know, batting down cases, you know, getting some plea agreements, doing great things for your clients, and busy's always good, regardless of what uh, line of work you're in. But uh, glad to hear you and the team have, have had some wins of late.
1: We have. It has been, as of the recording of this episode, uh, we we just wrapped up a multi-day major felony jury trial. Um, successfully. Um, We have successfully defended motions to suppress motions to exclude um, staring down the state and getting the clients the best outcome. So it's been really busy. It's I'm sorry that we've not been able to keep our normal schedule with this. But yeah, always glad to be back. Duty calls. Yeah, duty calls. Duty calls.
0: <laughs> well said. Um. Well, hey, uh, we've got a cool conversation dialed up today surrounding juries. First, let's let's get into this brief history, really, of juries. Talk talk me through where the idea of juries even came from in the first place, and and what kind of set this all in motion to begin with.
1: The concept of a jury is actually a a very old tribal concept. Uh, the the earliest forms of civilization, for a way of putting it, are basically tribal groups that got together and, and kind of banded together for their own safety, their own security, and their own governance. As with any group of people, eventually there came to be a point in time where where a member of the tribe would break the rules and some form of punishment would need to be meted out of it. So the jury system goes back basically to the beginning of human civilization. Uh, where we really start to see kind of the more modern concept of what we would consider to be the jury system comes from ancient Greece and ancient Rome with the concept of how the Senate or the local councils would work. The idea would be that um, if a crime were accused, Men of good character from the community, which in ancient Rome of of course be the senators, and in Greece, the uh um oh, there's a there's a word for it that blanks on me. It starts with the P patriarch probably, or it's usually the patriarchy, I'm told, um, would get together and and they would first determine whether a crime actually happened. Uh, that would be the first concept. Then they would determine whether or not um, the person who stood accused of the crime actually committed the crime, and then they would actually uh, then determine on what the punishment was. One of the more famous juries in antiquity, of course, was uh, was the jury of Socrates. Um, The men of Athens got together, decided that Socrates was uh, corrupting the youth of Athens, decided that, yes, this was a crime and this happened, and their punishment for him uh, was uh, execution. So that's that's kind of the oldest recorded example of a jury that we've got. And in a lot of ways, uh, that's kind of consistently been just built on. The system itself has not changed significantly from the concept of what that idea is. It, it's It's evolved and it's changed depending on Who's implementing the jury, but given that Rome and Greece had such a huge impact on on Western civilization and their development, that base root of how a jury has come up still basically exists and carries with us to this day.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so let's pivot more towards our neck of the woods, shall we, with, you know, English juries specifically. Talk us through maybe the early English juries that we saw, and do we have any sort of adaptations from those earlier, you know, Roman and Greek juries? Any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, the, the, the English system, which of course eventually became the foundation for the American system, um, really started to develop after the Norman Conquest in 1066. So again, we're we're going back almost a thousand years to show how much the jury system has really always been a consistent part of the jurisprudence. Effectively, the way that modern juries kind of evolved, it came during the reign of Henry II of England in the 12th century. So we're talking like the 1100s at this point in time. The idea was that juries, which would be made up of anywhere between six to 12 men, were considered to be um, an ancient institution. And the members would consist of representatives of the basic units of local government. So your shires, your villages, your towns, whatever the local governance body was. Um, called juries um, at that point in time, they were they were referred to as juries of presentment, was the way that it was referred to back at that point in time. Um, those individuals would testify under oath to crimes that may or may not have been committed in their neighborhood. So like if, you know, the Miller stole the Smith's chicken or something like that, they would be convened for the purposes of arguing to the local authority like, hey, this crime happened and this person was responsible for it. And, And that's how crimes were basically brought. That's how crimes were proved and prosecuted. Juries at that point in time were what were referred to as self-informing, and that's very different from the modern jury because a self-informing jury would mean that it heard very little evidence or testimony in what we consider to be a formal court. The concept was that the jurors were recruited from the locality of the area where the, the crime happened and were expected to know the facts of the crime before they even bothered showing up. The juror knowledge at that point in time could include firsthand knowledge, like if they personally witnessed it or personally heard of the crime happening, uh, any investigation they themselves actually felt like doing before showing up for jury duty, and even less reliable sources like rumors and hearsay. That was considered to be admissible huh. as evidence for the purposes of a jury at that point in time.
0: Whoa, yeah. That's
1: yeah, as sorry, a, sorry, at, yeah, at this point in time, you know, the, the, the modern equivalent for it. Because nothing ever actually goes away. The, modern, the closest modern equivalent that I could put for those very, very early English juries would be along the lines of what we would consider to be a lynch mob these days right? like about a better way of putting. Mm. you know, your mm. neighbor has been accused of committing a crime, or one of your neighbors is accused of another one of your neighbors committing a crime. So you get a bunch of people together and you decide, did this crime actually happen? Did this guy commit this crime? Yeah, what are we gonna do about it? Sure. We sure. moved away from that, fortunately, and even England moved away Thankfully. from that pretty quickly. Um, and, and in the later years, late uh, in the later years during Henry II's reign, there was a little bit more of an effort at trying to formalize how that worked. You started to have a little mm-hmm. bit more in the way of professional peacekeepers would be the way to put it like the whole concept of of the 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 local sheriff who is effectively the king's representative by law um the Mm -hmm. sheriff would also double as effectively the crown prosecutor at that point in time so the sheriff you know the accusation would be brought by a townsman to the sheriff who would then convene a jury and prosecute the case to that jury in front of a king's representative, which eventually came to be referred to as a judge or a magistrate. And the idea was at that point in time, it would be proved to the jury or the magistrate, and that would become an appealable issue for future proceedings if necessary. So that again was another step towards the more general formalization of what we know today. Still very and still very early, but you can still see mm-hmm. where where what we're dealing with now is still very fundamentally the same as what they were dealing with back then.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the building blocks are most certainly there. So in in your eyes where do we make that shift into what I guess we would deem kind of the modern jury system today? And and Didn't the Magna Carta play a role in that in any way, shape, or form?
1: The Magna Carta is probably the first real codification, for lack of a better way of putting it, as to what a jury would eventually look like. Uh, The Magna Carta was a document signed by King John of England in uh, 1215, It had numerous clauses. It it followed a a very brief uh, and unsuccessful the crown civil war that was designed to decide how much authority does the king of England actually have. And one of the things that they wanted to try and limit was the king's power to imprison people indefinitely. Again, um, under the system that was set up by Henry II, who, if my... Uh, chronology is correct i believe was king john's grandfather um the sheriff the the crown prosecutor the sheriff is the king's man the king appoints the sheriff the magistrate or the judge is the king's man the you know the king is appointing that person to hear the evidence and make the determination of it and if you've got the king's man on the bench and you've got the king's man in the prosecution it's not really that hard to intimidate people from the locality most of whom of course were um, you know, peasant or poor, relatively uneducated, and justify this is why we're holding this person. So the, the important part that was really codified in with the Magna Carta was Clause 39, which reads, uh, No free man shall be seized or imprisoned, or stripped of his rights or possessions, or outlawed or exiled, or deprived of his standing in any other way except by the lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land. Now, this is extremely important because, again, this is the first attempt to codify what a jury actually is and what a jury is going to do. You might notice that there were some very specific words in there that limit who this right actually belongs to. Uh, Most importantly, the concept of no free man.
0: The jury
1: rights that were protected in the Magna Carta were initially designed only for the nobility only for the gentry, because they were the ones that held the power. They were the ones that had the civil war uh, against the crown. They were the ones who were being in prison, having their land seized. Um, They went with the concept of what do we have to do to protect ourselves from this happening? Um, Peasants and serfs who were tied to the land did not qualify under those protections, at least not right away. Eventually, the the time evolved over it. Um, But the other clause in there that's always kind of important on that. Is, is the concept of lawful judgment of his equals. That's the concept of where a jury of your peers comes from. That language comes out of that clause. Because again, remember the Magna Carta initially only protected juries for the nobility, for the peerage. That's where that concept comes from. A, a noble could not be convicted of a crime except by a jury of his equals, his peers. And that's part of the, the parlance that's just kind of come down with that. Um, eventually, of course, in modern times, um, peer and equals basically encompasses everybody, your fellow citizens. Uh, but classically in 1215, your jury of your peers was your peers. It it was the other nobles, the guys who had titles just like you. Um, but it was still important, even though it was very limited, this is the first time that the concept of a right to a trial by jury was actually written down, and yeah. actually kind of set up that this is what this is going to be. This is going to be impartial. These are going to be people that, that are going to hear the crime and make the decision. And you can't imprison them if these people don't agree that this happened.
0: Sure, massive, massive progress towards what we've seen today, kind of as our modern jury system with the Magna Carta there. But where exactly, along line you had mentioned it, really that constitutional right to a jury? Where did that really come into fruition, and and uh, you know, how has it really kind of carried us into what we know today as as the the modern day jury? Sure the
1: the const the concept of the constitutional right to a jury, uh, very obviously. Um, the, the American colonists, the founders and the framers, they were all Englishmen. They were all English subjects before the, uh, revolutionary war. So when they were creating a judicial system for the United States, they effectively copied basically what they had in England. A lot of it was just effectively copied over with a few words cut and pasted here, there and whatever with regards to the concept of juries, um, The federal constitution, the the federal constitution, United States Constitution. There are two amendments that cover jury trials. Uh, The Sixth Amendment to uh, the Constitution guarantees the right to a jury in all criminal cases. It's right there, black and white. Um, There's no getting around it. It says you have a jury if you are charged with a crime in the United States. The Seventh Amendment is is one of those kind of like really little known amendments it doesn't get a lot of talk there's not really ever been a lot of litigation over it Um, it guarantees the right to a civil trial if the amount in controversy is greater than twenty dollars because you had to remember this is being written in like 1789 1791 something like that twenty dollars was a lot of money back then (laughs) Um, and they wanted to make sure that if you're going to have a jury in a civil case it was an amount in controversy that was actually important um, the amount now, if I recall correctly, to get a federal civil jury, I believe, is a quarter million dollars. They 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 have passed statutes over the years that have have raised the threshold limit yeah. to, be able to get in there. Um, which I guess, if anyone if anyone enterprising really wanted to, to make an argument about that, I guess it's a it's a fascinating constitutional argument. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't take it away as long as it's at least twenty dollars. Um, you, you can't be denied a right to a trial, but uh, the, the, the whole arc, the, the whole escalation of uh, at what point in time do you have to hit that threshold? That's interesting. Um, right. right. Indiana, Indiana has two separate provisions for uh, right to a jury in our Constitution. Um, mm-hmm. Our jury rights are um, in Article 1, Section 19 that covers the right to jury trials in uh, all criminal cases in the state of indiana and uh, article one section 20 covers the concept of uh, jury trials in civil cases um, we don't have a dollar threshold on it we just basically said you know what if it's a trial trials a trial is a trial you get a jury you can have a jury in both directions um, so Indiana constitutionally protects your right to a jury trial in both civil and criminal cases. Um, the one exception to that is forfeiture actions. I, I don't remember if we talked about this way back at our very first episode, uh, but a forfeiture is a civil action. It is by statute, not subject to the jury trial rule, um, I am aware that there have been test cases, maybe maybe a few years down the road, this, this section of the video will be completely obsolete and get a jury trial and forfeiture <laughs> cases too. Uh, as of right now, though, forfeitures are the only trials in the state of Indiana, civil or criminal, that are not subject to being tried to jury. Any other case in Indiana, you can put in front of a jury.
0: Roger that. Roger that. And we're going to get into different juries in Indiana here in a bit on the episode, uh, Jack. So I'm excited to kind of unpack that with you. But in terms of, you know, a real history of juries, I mean, that's kind of our walkthrough right there. But, you know, so many of us, a lot of our listeners, our audience, they're familiar with obviously your work, but also the courtroom as a whole through television, media, any way, shape or form. But it's important to note there are different types of juries that exist out there today, and it's we've got three that I know we want to go through here on the show and kind of pinpoint some of the differentiators and those differentiating factors between them all. Let's go ahead and start with that first one, probably the most popular, I would say, of these three, the idea of grand juries. Talk us through this type of jury, uh, you know, Jack, and, and really where we see this one pop up. Grand juries are
1: fascinating things. Um, mm-hmm. a, a grand jury, if, if you recall back to the early formation, what we were talking about how juries were formed, what they were supposed to do, you know, the early tribal governments, the Greeks, the Romans, the idea was, you know, all of the learned men or men of good character would come together and decide did a crime actually happen. That survives into the modern era through the grand jury process. Uh, A grand jury is a special type of jury brought by the prosecution for the specific purposes of determining did a crime actually happen? What a grand jury does is a grand jury hands down what's referred to as an indictment. The indictment is the formal declaration by the grand jury that a crime has occurred. Um, Because of the amount of time that's involved in convening a grand jury They've kind of fallen out of favor pretty significantly in the modern era. Most criminal charges these days are brought by what's referred to as charging information uh, rather than by grand jury indictment. There are a couple of exceptions. Article one, uh, not article one, uh, the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution requires that all federal criminal prosecutions be brought by grand jury indictment. There is no such thing as a federal information. If you are charged with with a crime in federal court, uh, you know that you were brought there by grand jury indictment. The, the prosecutor convened a grand jury, presented the evidence to them. The grand jury decided, yes, a crime has occurred. And yes, the person that I am accusing, the person that we are, are, are indicting or accusing of that crime uh, was in fact responsible for committing that criminal offense. Um, a lot of states will ha- maintain a grand jury system as effectively a fallback for for a better way of putting it it's another way of bringing criminal charges um the 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 hot dog man he was brought by grand jury indictment for example that was again an example where indiana Mm -hmm. used the grand jury system uh, to bring those charges forward a lot of times what we have found in the state courts and especially here in the indiana state courts the grand jury indictment is is kind of where you present a case, if for political purposes, you can't just ignore it. Mm. Um, so it, it creates this illusion of doing something. Uh a lot of police action shootings, for example, will go to grand jury for the purposes of determining whether or not there is sufficient evidence to proceed for or with the crime. It sounds great on paper. You would sure. think that from from an analytical standpoint, from the concept of like, well, this seems like a really efficient way of doing this. The idea is if you put it in front of a grand jury, you have at least already vetted your case. Mm -hmm. You've already made the determination of, hey, can we establish that a crime has actually occurred? And can we establish that the person we're accusing of this crime had something to do with it? The -hmm. problem is that's not how the process works. The grand jury process is completely one-sided. It is lock stock and two smoking barrels controlled by the prosecution. Uh, They decide what witnesses they're calling. They decide what evidence to present. They decide what charges to ask the jury to consider. So if the jury thinks that murder is an appropriate charge, but the jury, the grand jury is not asked to consider murder as a possible indictment, the jury can't indict them for murder. The, the the grand jury is constrained in that regard is that the only way that they can proceed forward is they have to agree with whatever the state puts in front of them. There's right. there's an old joke in the legal community about the grand jury would indict a ham sandwich if the prosecution asked them to. <laughs> and and that's more real than people think because the prosecution controls the entire thing. It's like there's no, yeah. there's no cross-examination, there's no confrontation because it's an investigatory jury. It's not for the purposes. Sure. Of establishing guilt or innocence, so it is completely controlled by the prosecution on that. Yeah. the The powers they have are fascinating, though. The, the oh my grand gosh! Jury, yeah. The grand jury itself is empowered to basically conduct whatever investigation it wants. It again goes back to those old, you know, tribunals in, in times of antiquity. It's like they can ask mm-hmm. whatever questions they want, they can hear it, whatever evidence the they point. want, they can. Um, they can basically do whatever they want sure, with, sure, the with the exception of deciding that they want to indict a crime the prosecution hasn't asked them to consider. That's the only thing they can. Yeah, can't do.
0: yeah, no, no kidding. And and this is why we batted lead off with uh, with yeah. the grand juries and these types, folks. There's, I mean, there's so much to unpack within a grand jury, and yes, boy, is it one sided. The prosecution controls the whole thing. Let's flip the script though here. Let's move to the next one, Jack. And that's petite juries. And this is a you know, a term I would imagine not too many people are familiar with, the idea of a petite jury. Talk talk us through this.
1: They're not. And and the reason for that is it lacks the 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 flashy grandeur of the grand jury. Um, but a petit jury, that's the actual pronounce uh, well, actually it could be either way, actually nothing, but it. it could be petite. I've always heard it as being Pettit from from my law professors or what have you.
0: I would uh, trust your I would trust your law professors. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure oh, some of great. them watch
1: this, but they're all good people. Um, oh, that's great. The um uh, a petted jury is basically what people think of as a jury. The petted jury is the jury that actually hears the evidence and makes it the determination of guilt or innocence. I honestly do not know why that's referred to as a petted jury. Um mm. But it, that's, that is that—is the main jury, like the main jury that actually does stuff, you know, where, where the attorneys are questioning witnesses and the jury sits there and takes their notes and they go back and they deliberate and they make the determination, has the state proved its case or has the uh, the plaintiff, if it's a civil case, um, you know, shown liability and shown damages and the things that they need to do. That's what a petit jury does. That's That is the jury that people think about with that. So when people are, you actually can get called for grand jury service, mm-hmm. but most people, mm-hmm. if they get called for jury duty, they're being called for a petit jury because that's mostly what happens. Uh, yeah. Again, very few cases in Indiana are being brought by federal indictment. We do have the two federal district courts here in Indiana, and I'm not saying that they aren't busy and I'm not saying they aren't doing stuff, but compared mm-hmm. to the various, we have 92 counties in this, in this state, you know, and each of them are constantly churning out criminal cases and criminal charges and a lot of those have to go to jury trial. And sure. Sure. And you know, if you get a jury summons, there's, there's a probably a 96, 97% probability you're being summoned for uh, a pettit jury, jury and, mm-hmm. and you get to do all the fun stuff that people think about when they're doing <laughs> jury duty.
0: Sure. Sure. And yeah, this is the one that everybody's so familiar with, obviously through television. It's, you know, it's been made famous really through right. television and media and it's really glorified the whole process. Um, but the third one on our list, that third type of jury Jack was one that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Maybe you could bring us up to speed on this one. And that's a coroner's jury. Talk, talk me through this. What do what you mean by that? Coroner's
1: juries are kind of archaic. Um, okay. They exist on paper. There are still situations where coroner's juries are used. What a coroner's jury is, if you think about a grand jury for a homicide, that's what a coroner's jury is. Uh, A coroner's jury is impaneled by the coroner. Uh, That's why it's referred to as a coroner's jury. The other term that you'll usually hear about when applied to a coroner's jury is, is referred to as the inquest. The concept of the inquest or the coroner's jury is to try to establish what the cause of death was in in the result of a body found under questionable circumstances. Primarily, the major place where you will still see to this day a coroner's jury impaneled is in a homicide where uh, the government is in some way, shape, or form involved. Um, the, the idea is, again, you want to try to maintain confidence in the system, maintain this this air that um, we're being impartial, we're not covering up for people who work with us. So you present evidence as to what happened to an impaneled jury, and they return a verdict of uh homicide homicide by person or person's unknown, accidental death, basically the same situation the coroner would do. So if a coroner looks at, you know, a body that's riddled with gunshots, you know, a coroner could typically write, oh, well, the cause of death, you know, suicide, cause of death, homicide, person or person's unknown. That's what the coroner's jury is doing. So it's a very similar situation the coroner is basically trying to establish. This is a dead body that we have found. These are the circumstances that the dead body was located in. Um, do you believe this to have been an intentional homicide, an accidental death? What was the cause of death? They're very, very archaic. As far as I am aware, I don't know that we have used them consistently in the United States since about the 1950s.
0: And, and even that was pushed. That was it. my next question. Um, sure. Yeah, I was curious you know, when when the last one had popped up, you know. I th- I think
1: that there are still circumstances in the United Kingdom where they will use a coroner's jury, um, mm-hmm. but even even then, it's it's such an archaic practice. The way that modern jurisprudence and modern policies have developed, that they still exist on paper. But I I, I would be stunned if I ever saw or heard of one in my lifetime. Let's put it gotcha. That way. It, it exists <laughs> as a historical novelty.
0: But it's one that is on paper worth covering, obviously. So there you have it, folks, three types of juries. I mean, the grand jury, you know, that big flashy one that's usually bringing down an indictment and then your petit juries, the ones that we're most familiar with. And then, of course, coroner juries, as we just mentioned. But, Jack, I want to let's shift the conversation now towards your area of expertise. And that's the state of Indiana. Walk me through some civil and criminal juries and what those look like within, you know, within your state and and, uh, and just how how they really proceed. Sure.
1: As, as we mentioned earlier, all cases that are brought in Indiana as original actions, whether it's a criminal action or whether it's a civil action, are entitled to a jury. That is a constitutional right that is protected to everyone. Um, there are differences in the way that we approach civil juries and criminal juries, and even criminal juries do have a couple of differences in them. Starting with the criminal jury concept, uh, juries are divided into felony, tr- felony juries and misdemeanor juries. All felony charges are initially set as a matter of right on the jury calendar. So if you you are charged with a felony offense and they give you a trial date, um, you are going to be on the jury calendar. That does not mean that you have to proceed to a jury trial, but it is because you have the constitutionally protected right to a jury. They will set that there. The fascinating thing with regards to the way that juries work in criminal cases because of the language of the Indiana state constitution with regards to jury trials and criminal cases, both the defense and the prosecution are entitled to have the case tried by jury. So for example, if the defendant wants to waive jury in a felony case, the state actually does have the legal standing to object. It is not something that I've ever seen happen. I, mm-hmm. I suppose there are circumstances where the state would refuse to agree to a waiver of a jury in a misdemeanor case, perhaps maybe a um, you know particularly high profile uh, media type of case where where someone had a re-election campaign on the lines. I could see them not wanting <laughs> to agree to waive the jury there. Um, sure. But jury trials are very time consuming uh, for mm-hmm. for reasons that we will get into. Jury trials are very time consuming. Uh, there's a higher possibility of if something goes wrong, you have to do the entire trial over again when you're dealing with the jury. So a lot of times if the defendant wants to waive their right to a jury trial, the state's usually more than happy to shrug their shoulders and say, cool, less work for me. Let's move on. Um, you'll also see situations where people will waive their right to a jury as part of a, uh, plea negotiation, uh, status, uh, strategy, strategy, not status. Um, an example is, Indiana does still have the death penalty on the books. Uh, we do not use it regularly. Uh, most of our homicide cases are not filed as death penalty cases. Um, the cases that look like they might get up to the edge of potentially being death penalty cases, a lot of times what will happen is the defendant will agree to waive the right to a jury trial in exchange for a guarantee from the prosecution to not pursue the death penalty. So everything is up for negotiation when you're dealing with the criminal justice system. Uh, And that's one of those situations. But I suppose in theory, you know, if it was a homicide case, and the defense wanted to waive the jury and the prosecution said, we're not going to that the state does have the right to insist on a jury trial in those felony cases. Um, misdemeanors are slightly different because misdemeanors uh-huh. are criminal cases. You do have a right to a jury trial on that as well. However, procedurally, the, uh, the Supreme Court of Indiana has set forth a list of, uh, rules and procedures, um, covering trials and misdemeanor cases. Uh-huh. If you are charged with a misdemeanor case, you are not automatically set on the jury calendar. You have the right to demand a jury trial in a misdemeanor case, and that right has to be demanded not later than 10 days before your first trial setting. So there are a number of time limits that, as attorneys, we have to pay attention to to make sure that we sure. are preserving and protecting our clients' rights. Again, just because you demand a jury in a misdemeanor case does not mean that you're actually going to go to trial on it. But if mm-hmm. you're not exercising rights, they're waived and they're useless. And our job is to make sure your rights are being protected. So we'll right. frequently demand juries in misdemeanor cases just to preserve that, um, which does bug judges sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know maybe don't set bench trials until we actually ask for a trial date. That's that's the trade-off with.
0: Touché. (laughs) Um,
1: Major felony juries, which would be uh, murders, level one, two, three, four, and five juries, are 12-member juries. Those 12 members have to reach a unanimous verdict. That unanimous verdict is either guilty or not guilty. There are no split verdicts on that. Level six felonies, which are considered to be minor felonies, as well as all misdemeanor cases, are uh, six-member juries. So same situation, Uh, the jury has to be unanimous in its verdict, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a smaller jury panel for it. Same thing with civil cases. Uh, The civil jury is also six members. So misdemeanors, level six felonies and civil juries all have six jurors on them. And uh, very similar with the criminal misdemeanor situation. If you have a civil trial, um, you have to demand the jury within 30 days of filing what's referred to as a responsive pleading um just sidetracking real quick to kind of make sure that makes sense for everybody indiana Mm -hmm. civil law um you initiate a civil complaint by filing what's referred to as a complaint or an equivalent document that is considered to be a responsive pleading you can actually demand Mm -hmm. a jury at the time that you file your lawsuit what is much more common is when the defense files their answer or response, which is the other type of responsive pleading, it is pretty common that they will demand their jury as part of that answer, and that starts the process there. Um, but if they, if, if neither side demands a jury, either at the time the lawsuit's filed or, or within 30 days of the answer being filed, uh, that's considered to be a waiver of the right to a, a civil jury trial. So. Wow. Um, there, there are always, even, even outside of my neck of the woods, there are always technicalities in the law that you really want to make sure you're always having an attorney keep an eye on for
0: you. Amen. That's why it helps to, to have somebody in your court, you know? So Jack, as we're looking at uh, pun intended, uh, as we're looking <laughs> towards, um, as we're looking towards one of the bigger questions that I think so many people, when they're thinking about juries are asking themselves, uh, paint the picture for us. How are jurors really selected in the first place? Obviously, we're probably thinking about Pettit juries here. How sure. are they selected when we go through this process?
1: As far as I'm aware, both grand and Pettit jurors are being selected the exact same way. And okay. in Indiana, that is currently based off of your uh, driver's license uh, address. Uh, classically, we used to take prospective jurors from the voter rolls. The idea being that if you were civic minded enough to actually engage in voting, you were civic minded enough to uh, properly be qualified to participate in and uh, participate, participate in a jury process and and give it the attention and care that uh, that it deserved. Um, As it turns out, that was a terrible way of selecting jurors. Uh, Not enough people vote. Um, This this is in no way, shape or form going to turn into a soapbox on that concept. But because so few people were voting. Uh, There were so few people that could actually grab to be qualified as prospective jurors. So in an effort to expand the jury pool as much as possible, um, the jury, at least in Indiana, was based off of what your uh, driver's license uh, address was with the Indiana Bureau of Motor Vehicles. So whatever address is on your driver's license, if you get tagged for jury duty, that's going to be where it goes. And each county handles that jury selection slightly different. Um, For example, in Marion County, which is where our offices are, um, if you're selected for jury duty, they effectively do like these mass mailers and say, hey, during this week, we need you to call this number and punch in this code. And it'll tell you whether or not you need to show up for jury duty or not. A lot of other counties, what they will do is they will basically they'll they'll still randomly draw your name out of a hat. They'll still do kind of the search and say, okay, well, this person is qualified, you know, for jury, we're going to put them on a jury panel. And you'll get a letter in the mail that says you have been selected for jury duty during the, you know, fourth quarter of 2022. Please fill out this jury questionnaire and send it back to the courthouse. If a jury happens during that time, we'll let you know whether or not you need to show up, um, which has happened to me on a couple of different occasions. I've actually been—I I have received a couple of different jury questionnaires. Um, I was so excited about the prospect <laughs> of getting there, and then uh, it, it got—it got really, really close one time. Like it was—it <laughs> was within 24 hours of of a jury happening, and I was told to call. At five o'clock the night before my jury trial day, and the clerk told me that they settled the case. Um, she used the word "resolved," so I don't know if it was a civil trial or if it was going to be a criminal trial. Um, but they they said Shucks. that it was resolved, and and I I lost my opportunity to be on a jury. So, uh,
0: well, it's I- heartbroken. Yeah, I I would imagine so. I mean, any chance you can get to get in a courtroom, always a good time, I would imagine, Jack. Um, But hey, so what's the deal with compensation for jurors? Because I know this is another topic. I mean, obviously, for so many people, you're plucked out of your working day. You know, you've got to make accommodations for that day. You can't be at your job because you've got to be on jury duty. And hey, sometimes it's not a day. Sometimes it's maybe weeks. So what's compensation look like?
1: embarrassing is is probably the easiest way of putting it it is i would imagine so embarrassing how we compensate jurors Uh, certainly in indiana i can't speak for the way other states do it but it is it is ridiculously embarrassing the way that we handle it Uh, and it's probably the single biggest problem that we have with actually getting people to show up and participate in jury duty in indiana um currently If you are selected for jury duty and you make it to the courthouse, you are given a stipend of $20 and you are paid for your mileage to get to the courthouse, not your mileage to go back from the courthouse, but you're paid for your mileage to drive to the courthouse plus $20 for showing up. If you are selected for the jury, that $20 is increased to $40. And it's not, it's not doubled up. So it's not, you get 20 bucks for showing up and then you get 40 bucks for actually being on the jury. You would just get $40 if you were selected for the jury. Now you get $40 per day that you're on the jury, but that's again, woefully inadequate because you're correct. Most people have lives, they have jobs, they have responsibilities. And, and I hope against hope that no one is making less than $40 per day at their job. Um, it is a significant financial hardship for a lot of people to be on a jury just for that reason. And and that is a huge, huge problem. Um, yeah, my honest opinion, I honestly think we should be paying jurors 50 bucks for showing up and a hundred bucks for actually being on the jury per day.
0: I mean, Mm. the, the, the the, stuff.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I don't have a better way of phrasing it than that. Because yeah, you you're I mean, get you, you run into problems where, that's that's why people go out of their way to try to get out of jury. duty. Sure, there's, sure, there's, absolutely. There's that huge pinch on it. If you're if you're living paycheck paycheck or you have responsibilities, that's yep. a huge thing out of it. And then on top of that, you know, the only time the court feeds you is once deliberations start. You know, there are a lot of courts that will basically say, Hey, you know, thanks for being here. Um, you know, we're going to order you pizza for lunch. You know, where do you want it from? Well, there are a lot of counties that won't do that. Marion County, for example, you only get fed right. if you're in deliberations if wow. you know if it's if it's day two of the jury of a three-day jury and it's just basically the lunch recess you're on your own Jeez. for that you're on your own <laughs> for parking it's like that 40 bucks per day is just gone like it's gone yeah it's just yeah, absolutely fair point,
0: point. Mm-hmm. well it so, is so and what's what's really interesting with that conversation is when you take that idea of such a, a lower compensation for not just jurors across indiana but really nationwide but if you take that concept and then you couple it with really the power of a jury talk us through what the powers of the juries look like in indiana jack and and how how uh maybe there is that discrepancy really from what they're being compensated for versus the power that they carry into a courtroom
1: the jury juries in indiana and and i I've never done actually scratch. i I actually believe it or not, I actually had done a civil jury. that is that is a fascinating story that maybe we'll say for a different time. But I have done a civil jury. Um, most of the juries, of course, that I do very obvious reasons are criminal cases. Juries in criminal cases are the supreme power and authority over basically anything whatever the jury decides is the jury's decision um the constitution article one section 19 of the indiana state constitution gives the jury the exclusive authority to decide not only the facts but also the laws of the state of indiana um that is an insanely powerful thing to give to a body because the, the 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 law of the land, the law of the state of Indiana is that the jury basically gets to decide, is this the law? And if the law was, you know, if if we decide that this is the law, do we decide that this person broke that law and under what circumstances? So they're deciding both the law and the facts. It's one of the reasons why um appeals of jury verdicts are are ridiculously complicated. Mm-hmm. I, I think that statistically speaking, appealing a jury verdict has a success rate of less than 3%. And that's being incredibly generous. And part of that is the recognition by the courts that the jury is the supreme arbiter of this. The jury decides what the law is. The jury decides whether or not, what the facts of the case are and no one else is allowed to question that. Um, Yeah, They try to temper it. It, it. It's absolutely fascinating. The courts have tried to temper that over the years Uh, By having pattern instructions and one of the things that one of the pattern instructions that gets read all the time like they they will tell the jury under the laws of the state of Indiana you as the jury are the finer you as the jury the final decider of the laws and the facts. The court's instructions are your best source of understanding the law. So basically, they're trying to reassert themselves. Like, yeah, we're still part of this. Yeah, don't go crazy, jury. Sure, sure. you totally can go crazy, jury, but we're technically <laughs> going to tell you what the law is, and you should really listen to us because we're the judges. Hmm. Um, but it, it's 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 almost unfettered power. Yeah, if someone really wanted to wield it. There's nothing stopping them. Mm-hmm. The only thing that stops them is whether or not you can convince the other five or the other exactly. 11 people on the jury with you that your way is the correct way.
0: Sure thing. Sure thing. I mean, it truly is that ultimate power, jacket. But last, last little nugget that we wanted to touch on here in terms of juries throughout Indiana is this idea of jury nullification. What do you mean by this, and where does this come into play?
1: Jury nullification is one of those – Controversial concepts mm-hmm. in the law. Uh, again, if you go back to the roots of the jury system, the idea is the community is coming together to say uh, uh, all, all cases, all criminal cases, the state's required to prove two things. The first thing they're required to prove is that a crime actually happened, and then they're required to prove that the person accused of the crime actually committed that crime so going all the way back to the concept of the jury is assembled either of the learned men of the community uh the tribal elders the councils however you want to refer to them. the grand juries these days or even the petit juries when they're back there in that in in the uh deliberation room the first thing they decide is did a crime actually happen and that goes back to the concept of the power the jury is the power to decide what is the law um you'll see usually it's most common with regards to um, drug related uh, prosecutions. You'll see, you'll see uh, the Libertarian party, for example, is, is very big on this concept. Uh, the argument that this is an unjust law. If it's an unjust law, you shouldn't follow it. And you should just refuse to convict on that. Highly, highly controversial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As, as a matter of pure law, Whatever the jury does in that room, no one knows. There are no listening devices in the jury deliberation room. There are no recordings made of what's said in the jury deliberation room. If the jury goes back there and says, I don't agree with what they say the law is, and you know, I get to decide what the law is because I'm a juror, and I say that no law was broken, there's legally nothing that can be done about it. That, again goes back to the just the sheer unbridled power that a jury does actually have in these cases, right? right. Um, you know we we and 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 it's one of those things that we do see during the jury selection process where we are not allowed neither side, neither the prosecution nor the defense mm-hmm. is allowed to say anything even approaching the words nullification or jury nullification. That is a major major you don't get your hand slapped on that you get your hand cut off on (laughs) Mm. it um so what you'll do is you'll usually try to flesh out and usually this the the state does a better job on this sometimes than we do because um people who have really strong anti-state sentiments are really really happy to let you know they have strong anti-state sure um and you'll you know you'll have people who during the selection process, they'll tell people, you know, they'll tell prosecutors like, you know, cops do nothing but lie. I've never seen a cop do anything honest and I hate cops and I can't believe a cop. If, you know, the cop said that it was raining out and I looked outside and there was water, I'd still not believe (laughs) them. Um, you know, they get struck because they're probably going to be a jury nullifier. They're going to go back there and they're going to use that power and decide, you know, I don't think any laws were broken, you know, Mm -hmm. fight the system. Sure. Um, but you know that's that's kind of the situation you get into. If someone like that gets onto the jury, you know they can exercise that yeah. power and they can basically decide. Yeah, no crime happened. I'm not convicting. We're not convicting. I guess we're done here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and that's 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 a very powerful thing. It really is. And, yeah. And very controversial as a legal theory. It's a matter of natural law, again dating back thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of years we're just not allowed to talk about it because that would be bad for the state.
0: (laughs) So Jack, I mean, we've covered a lot in terms of jury's day, you know, really their, their inception into our, our way of life. We've, you know, the different types that exist and then just really how they're carried out throughout the state of Indiana. So as we're bringing our conversation really to a head here, you know, the, the topic really of the show is, was, was what you need to know about juries. Well, if you wanted to leave our audience with just one final thought about, you know, and our audience being maybe potential jurors down the road, maybe they have been selected once, maybe they'll get jury duty again, or maybe they've never been selected themselves. And maybe they're gearing up for the idea of being a juror down the road in their life. What would you say potential jurors should know? What's a key takeaway they could leave this episode with?
1: It's a huge sacrifice. It is absolutely a financial issue. It is a time commitment. It's probably not something that a normal person wants to do, but is so incredibly important. It does not take much to be charged with a criminal offense in the state of Indiana. Criminal offenses in the state of Indiana are brought if there is probable cause to support the filing of criminal charges. Probable cause is a ridiculously low burden. If a person walks up to a police officer and says, I am a victim of crime and that person is the perpetrator, that accusation by itself with literally nothing else to support it is enough to get that process rolling. And once that process is rolling, it's very, very hard to stop it. Um, as of the recording of this video, we're recording this on July 26. We were in trial. We were in a two day jury trial in Shelby County um, on July 5th and July 6th of this year. Unlike with uh, Mr. Kadravac, uh, Robert Kadravac, the hot dog man, I am not going to provide um this defendant's name because uh this this defendant uh was found to be not guilty he was found to be not guilty after the trial um and we are going to completely expunge his record for him so there's no records left of this incident so I'm I'm going to respectfully keep his name out of this one um but he was accused of abusing um two of his daughters and Literally, that was the only evidence that was there. There was there was evidence of an accusation, and then when we put our case on, there was evidence of a denial, and that's literally all the evidence that there was to jail a man, to require him to spend ten thousand dollars to not be sitting in a cell, to lose his job, to uh, be required to move because he couldn't make his rent payments to uh, deal with this for two years and then sit next to me for two additional days, that accusation was enough to get that process started. That's how incredibly important it is for people to to be there because I don't think that enough people understand how easy it is to get yourself into that system. Um, one of the back and forth that we had when, we were doing the jury selection that process. Um, The prosecutor who was handling that case asked the jury panel, uh, he asked one of the panelists, if your purse was stolen, and the only evidence of your purse being stolen was your accusation, would you want the perpetrator to be convicted? So when we got up, and we did our closing argument, one of the things I told the jury was they never asked the the opposite of that question, if you didn't steal a purse, and the only evidence against you was someone accusing you of stealing the purse, would you want to be convicted on the strength of that alone? You know, would you want to be sitting next to me for two days accused of something you didn't do with no evidence other than that accusation? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's all it took. That's all it took to turn that man's life upside down. And as a result, the line that separated that defendant from anyone who might be watching this is, is, as much as anything, just a matter of luck. You know, th- that that particular defendant had no idea after being on this planet, you know, for 40 plus years that he'd ever find himself in, in accused of a criminal offense, sitting next to an attorney on trial basically for his life. And, and, and again, it was that easy. The, the, the person on the jury and the person at the defense table, there's not that much of a difference. And you know, th- there's there's that joke about I wouldn't want to be judged by someone who is too stupid to get out of jury duty. Well then maybe don't try getting out of jury duty. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you wouldn't yeah. want to be judged by someone who is there, maybe think about the concept of like, well, if I was going to be judged, would I want me on that jury? Because that's such a huge thing. Yeah. And, and it's really Probably the single most important responsibility that you have as a citizen is is that responsibility. Just, just be there yeah. and determine, okay, did a crime happen and did the state prove it? Because if, if we don't hold the state accountable to these things, if we let the state get away with it, that's bad for all of us. And you can't yeah. allow that stuff to happen. So yeah. the number one takeaway is show up. It mm-hmm. sucks. It's unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. Aside from the financial thing, God, you got to listen to attorneys blather on all day. They keep but it is important. It is really, really sure. something important.
0: Uh, well, I, hey, I appreciate you sharing that example, Jack. And and as a, a big reminder to our audience, we'd always be remiss if we didn't say this and bring this up. But Jack, I mean, this is what you do. You are knee deep in a courtroom most days protecting your clients' rights. If anybody out there in our audience is interested in reaching out to you and your team uh, over at Razumich Associates for any discussion about maybe something that's happened in their life or maybe they need uh, you know help addressing something like that, uh, what would be the best way they could get in touch with you and your team? As always, the best
1: way of contacting your office is uh, by telephone for a free case evaluation. Case evaluations are always free. They're always going to be. We are more than happy to talk about your legal situation with you and answer your questions. Uh, that telephone number is area code 317-983-5333. And as Ryan pointed out, th- this is our job. We are litigation attorneys. We are trial attorneys here. We're a dying breed. in In a system that even the Supreme Court of the United States recognizes that about 96 to 98% of all criminal prosecutions are resolved by some form of plea agreement, finding an attorney who who can fight for you, who can litigate, who can go to jury, who can do these things. There aren't many of us left. We, we are we're, we're holding on those of us who are still here doing it are holding on. But if you need trial attorneys, you know, make sure make sure you ask whether or not the firm that you're hiring has has ever conducted a trial. We've conducted trials. I want to say, uh, I'd I'd have to get my bingo card out, but I think that we've done jury trials at this point in time in 12 or 13 different counties in Indiana, and wow. that is that's an extremely high amount for private representation. We we love doing this. Uh, this is this is our this is what our job is. This is what
0: we're here for. Awesome. Well, Jack, I appreciate you carving some time out of your day to be with us and dive into this idea of juries. Boy, was there a lot to unpack within it, and uh, we hope you know the audience obviously had, a, had some key takeaways as well. But appreciate you, and uh, looking forward to the next one, Jack. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Alrighty. Awesome. And hey, look, uh, as always, let's take one final moment and recognize you guys. That's our audience for jumping aboard and being with us here on the show today. If you guys. Like today's episode, you took anything away from from it. Do us a favor, hit that like button or subscribe to the show on whichever platform that you're checking us out on today. And then, of course, share this information with any friends or family, business owners, anybody really that you think would benefit from these types of conversations because we're taking stories and lessons from the courtroom, uh, really just about criminal law as a whole and bringing them to you guys on the show. We would hate to have you miss out on any cool conversations down the road. So for Jack, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you joining us on today's installment of Closing Arguments.